This morning I have a very simple message, and it's simple because it's something we're very familiar with and very um, probably in 100% agreement with. It's simple because it's really just a few words. It's also simple um, because we have been taught as children even to participate in it, but what I'm fearful of is that we might think that simple means easy. Simple does not mean easy. In fact, what we have to talk about this morning is very difficult. We might also think that simple means it requires very little of us, but in fact, what we're going to find out is it requires all of you, every aspect of your being. If simple is something that we can do offhand and without thought, but rather we're going to find that this simple instruction this morning uh, is going to require an incredible amount of courage and uh, challenge for us. And so do not confuse a simple message with any of these other ideas that somehow this is something we can just um, float along or drift through life and it will just happen because it's simple. Uh, the fact is, is that this instruction is uh, a pinnacle. It is one is directly linked to what God would have for us and it is repeated again and again and again in Scripture and which is why you are so familiar with it. And uh, Jesus is no exception here. And he repeats it over and over and over again within the conversation we have here recorded in John 14, 15, and 16. The simple instruction is that if we want to experience and possess perfect peace, complete joy, and the Father's love, we need to be, have an active, vital, effectual prayer life and that prayer life is conditioned, that kind of prayer life is conditioned upon us obeying God's commands. That's it. Not that's the only one, because this is one of seven conditions that we see here in Jesus' conversation with the disciples. Uh, we already looked at one that we believe. And the evidence that we truly believe is that we trust God, that we'll actually go to him and ask for these things, and ask not for our own selves, but for what brings him glory. For if we really trust and believe that Jesus Christ is God, is the Savior of men, we will strive as followers of him to bring his Father glory, just as he sought to bring glory to his Father. And so as we seek to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we know that that will bring glory to the Father. And so that is the evidence of belief that should influence our praying. Well, this morning, that was last week, this morning we look at the conditional concept that is, again, repeated over and over again in Scripture, that we obey His commands. If you obey, this is the evidence that you love God. This is the evidence that you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the evidence that you are a faithful servant of his. And you cannot claim to uh, be any of those things without obeying his commands. When I say to obey his commands, generally what we will, and, and perhaps maybe even for the apostles here on this occasion, uh, and that's why Jesus has to correct that thinking, the first thing we think of when we say obeying God's commands, we usually think of something like the Ten Commandments, uh, something like that. And we put that on our list of, well, I'm going to try to obey the commands. And Jesus, of course, when confronted with 
the, the rich young ruler who says, have you, you know, and he says, oh yeah, I've kept all those since a youth. Since I was young, I kept the Ten Commandments. You know, I've done that. And uh, Jesus Christ, of course, has a different scale than that. Um, these aren't really what the Christian is looking at when we're talking about obeying God's commands is the Ten Commandments. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, takes us into what Jesus describes. Let's go there very quickly. Uh, out of I haven't read from John 14 yet, but we'll get there. Let's go to Matthew, because I want to contrast significantly what we think of in terms of keeping the commandments. So when we talk about the commandments, we're not talking about the law. And yes, the Ten Commandments are part of the law. We are free from that law. We are now uh, committed to a different one, a law not of stone but of flesh, uh, a principle not of earning but of uh, declaring gratitude. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, you're all very familiar with the Beatitudes of the blessed, blessed, blessed descriptions. And so um, verse 17 is where I want to pick up on this. It says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one till will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And so these, you might, many people focus on verse 18 says, No, pastor, we are there to keep the law. No, the law has been fulfilled. It will be fulfilled shortly in John when Jesus Christ uh, takes upon us our sin and becomes our propitiation, becomes our atonement, becomes our payment for sin. And so at his death and then at his resurrection, we have the fulfillment of all that is required by the law. We can study the book of Hebrews. We can see that we have a better sacrifice. We have a better high priest. We have all these things. We have a than the law that Israel ever had. And so he is the fulfillment, and so we celebrate his coming this week and in the week, couple of weeks to come. Um, it really should extend from Tuesday through a week, from, two weeks from Tuesday, um, two weeks from Wednesday. And so we, we have this, this, this requirement of keeping a law that isn't the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments. It is fulfilled in Christ. And so, what is the law we're talking about? Does it, it is not one that is tied to that. Um, we do not concern ourselves with the Ten Commandments. You may say, what, Pastor, really? Not in our Christian walk. I want to, we, we can talk about verse 9, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Aren't we talking about the law? yes. But something even more than that. For I say to you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of old, to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge 
the judge hands you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you'll by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, another of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you for his more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said in the law, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, for, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. <laughs> but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whatever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him an ass, and from him who wants to borrow, from him do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors... Do the same. And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we can go on. I just wanted to read a lengthy portion to demonstrate that Jesus doesn't take this lightly. He goes through the Ten Commandments. Why do I say that we are not concerned with the Ten Commandments? Is because the righteousness, the commands we are called to obey exceed them so significantly that we should never have to concern ourselves with them. We are not held to a lower standard as Christians because we are free from the law, but to a higher standard. I am no longer concerned about murder. I am concerned about hatred. I am no longer concerned about, about committing adultery. I am concerned about lust. I am no longer concerned about um, getting even revenge because now I'm concerned about how do I show kindness to my enemies. It is a transforming that when the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we are not free to do whatever we please. We are still called to keep his commandments, and, but his commandments have, because of his spirit within us, remember all of this is conditioned upon that layer of Holy Spirit empowering us to live our lives on a different level entirely. Why do we still teach our children the necessity in the scripture teaching you saw in Sunday school of obeying their parents? Well, because they're not transformed by the Holy Spirit yet. They're little heathens until they receive Christ as their Savior. They still need the law. Why do they need the law? To school them on their sin that they might be saved. 
Do not treat your little children as though they're little Christians. Because they aren't. They need the law to condemn them. But once we have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and we have placed our trust in him, we receive the Holy Spirit and we truly believe that he is the Lord of all, then we will obey on a whole different scale. And I no longer have to concern myself about honoring my parents because um, I love them. Isn't it great? The Bible doesn't say love your parents. It doesn't tell children to love their parents. It tells children to honor their parents. But a Christian young person loves their parents as a command of God, and honor always comes with love. You can't say you love somebody and then dishonor them. That would be hypocritical. And so we find here in Matthew that Jesus is going to take one right after another, right after another of the laws that the Jews were living by and saying that what I am here to do is to complete thou, satisfy the requirements of the law, and in doing so, I'm going to equip you and enable you to live on a level that is truly glorifying to God because we know that Israel was trying to keep the law in a self-righteous way and they were not righteous before God. And that's why Isaiah says, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You try to keep that law, but you become self-righteous. You bring glory to yourself. The glory isn't going to the Father, and therefore the Father despises it. But for the Christian, when we keep his commands, when we obey, we are doing it in a reactionary way to the transformation he has occurred that has occurred in our life because by faith we have trusted in him and our obedience is one of thanksgiving not of trying to earn anything necessarily can we then earn something yes and God describes that there's heavenly rewards there's the favor of God we're talking about on Sunday nights that that is something we see that is earned um, the not the grace but the favoring that his pleasure upon us, that he is pleased with us, not that he ceases to love us if he's not pleased with us, but we prefer not only his love, but his pleasure. And so this transforms the law. Now we live to a different law, and this, the, the whole book of Galatians deals with. And so this is a large, a huge matter within the church to understand what are we keeping when we say, I'm going to keep his commandments. I'm going to obey God. I'm not going back to the Ten Commandments, uh, not unless I'm dealing with unbelievers. I use the Ten Commandments to deal with unbelievers a lot. You know, oh, you say you're good enough for heaven? Oh, you know, you honor your parents, you don't lie, you have not done any of these things, you've not cursed his name, you've not done any of those things, and they're, well, I have. I said, well, you're guilty. So we can use the law for unbelievers. When we come to the Christian community, and we say we're supposed to obey his commands, we're not talking about that, but too many times we reference that. We're talking about something on a whole nother level. And this, Jesus just gives us, and turn back now to John chapters 14, 15, 16. They're all they're replete in here, uh, repeatedly over and over and over again. Um, we have this instruction. Let's just pick up in verse 15 of John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Uh, A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that time, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me, he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And we can jump ahead into chapter 15. Let's, uh, I'm going to just, well, let's, no, let's not do that. Let's go down to verse 30 uh, of chapter 14. I will, no, I, will not, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. We're going to talk about Christ's keeping of the Father's commandment shortly. Now let's jump ahead to verse Nine of chapter 15. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. We're going to stop right there in the middle of a verse. Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. You love me, and the love of Father is in you. Um, one of the evidences of that, one of the strengths, one of the requisites of your prayer life is that you living an obedient life to the commandments of God. And what is the commandment of God? This is the question. I've already said it is far beyond the Ten Commandments. It is, it, the, the Old Testament law is fulfilled. It is no longer about food and drink and about what days you choose to celebrate. Um, and, and it's none of that. It's not about keeping the Sabbath. Any longer, it's, 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 or keeping the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, technically. Um, but rather, we have another law. If I love God and love one another, and the love of Jesus Christ compels me to these things. I participate in worship not to fulfill the law. There is no, nothing in the scripture saying that you need to be here every Lord's Day of every day, of every week, of every year. There's no commandment that says that. The commandment is, do you love God? Love God. Do you love the Lord? If I have a love, a genuine love for the Lord, I want to be in front of him. You want to say, well, the Lord is at home in my bedroom. Yes, he is right there in your nightstand. I would completely agree with you. But I'm not. Because if you love God, it says you will also love one another. We're going to talk a lot about love because it's going to be one of the other conditions uh, and we can almost combine these two, and that's the two I was thinking of whether I should combine them or separate them. Uh, I'm not going to combine them, but uh, I could. So the commandment is there. I'm going to obey his commands. Now, does the Bible give you uh, specific ways to obey the simple command of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself? Because Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says, those are the two. And they're not in the Ten Commandments. The two commandments Jesus gave were not in the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we love the Lord our God and we love one another, particularly within the household of faith, 
then we are going to be participating in certain activities. And the Bible has lots of passages that talk about we're also going to prohibit ourselves. Love constrains me from participating in a lot of other things. And Paul is all the way down to what you eat and what you wear. That if I generally love other people, I don't want them to be guilty of this, not just adultery, I don't want other people to be guilty of lusting. So I want to make sure I dress modestly because I love them enough, I don't want to entice them to lust. Pretty simple, right? Love drives our activity. Not an attempt to gain uh, fear or gain salvation. I do not obey the law because I can't. I fail. But once I have the love of God in me and a love for his people, I want to be around them. I want to be in his word. I want to uh, be careful to spur others to love and to good deeds. I want to entice them, not towards sin, not towards uh, the breaking of the commandments of God that are on a higher level than Ten Commandments, but to keeping them. And when you go through the passages of the New Testament, you go through the epistles, and, and you look at them, and these lists of things, these are the things you should be involved in. These are the things you used to be involved in. But God has transformed you. And they've used various images for that, all coming to this simple instruction of Jesus Christ, keep my commandments, obey my commandments. And, and right here in this chapter where I stop in the middle of verse, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And let's go down to verse 14. We're going to talk more about love in a few weeks. It says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And he reiterates again, verse 17, this is what I command you, love one another. And so we have this, this pressing requirement upon us that we obey God's commands. But because we are so unattuned to what this kind of love is that Jesus is talking about, we have all these other passages to kind of fill that out because we don't always understand what it means to love in a sacrificial manner. And that's why uh, our example is Jesus Christ, and he keeps putting that forward. Love God as I have loved God. I kept my Father's commandments. You keep my commandments like I've kept my Father's commandments. Well, let's talk about Jesus' keeping his commandments. Since we're here celebrating our Lord's birth around this time of year, um, how do you keep his commandments? Do you think Jesus Christ was real excited about the, the opportunity he had? It wasn't an opportunity. To leave heaven's glory and come and take up residence in the womb of a human person? I think that was on his top of the list of things that he would really enjoy doing. Oh, can you imagine the sacrifice, the, the incredible courage, the incredible driving love that would leave the glory of heaven? Let me, let me just share with you, nobody, when they get to heaven, ever wants to leave. It's that spectacular compared to here. 
I used to tell my son-in-law while we were building his house, you know, heaven's better than Montana. It really is. And your heavenly home is better than this house ever could be. Oh, that we would see the necessity that was put upon Jesus Christ by the Father to leave heaven's glory, to come take up residence, not as a king, not as a, not as a, a high priest already mature, but as a few multiplying cells in the womb of a common woman. And then the humiliation of being born in a manger. No accolades from earth. We have accolades from heaven because angels showed up. Interesting who they come and talk to. They don't go and talk to important people. They talk to shepherd boys out in the fields keeping watch over the flocks at night. Um, and those weren't any old men, by the way. Shepherds who have night duty aren't the old guys. The guys with seniority only go out there when it's nice. When the weather's nice and during the day. The old guys with their gray beards, they only go out there then. The guys that get stuck on night duty are who? The young ones, yeah. These are like 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Get that in your mind. When you talk about shepherds keeping watch of their flocks by night, teenagers, this is like David, the youngest boy. You know, when there's something important, everyone goes, but I get stuck behind. Why? I have the least seniority. I get stuck with the sheep. While everyone else gets to go meet with the prophet Samuel. And that's who had been in the fields that night. Now I'm giving away all of Tuesday night. It's a mess. That's a horrible thing. Now you don't even have to come. Unless you love the Lord and want to be here. <sighs> no. <laughs> oh, the humiliation that a bunch of teenage boys were the first visitors who stunk of sheep. But it kind of fit the scene, didn't it? But it gets worse. Because you have to live among these people and you have to submit yourself, subordinate yourself to a, a man who really isn't your father, but you're going to treat him with the honor of uh, and submit yourself to your parents, uh, even though you're already at 12 years old, functioning well beyond them spiritually and probably in many other capacities as well. With an unsentainted intellect. But he submits to him not till he's 21, 18, not till he's 21. From what I could tell, he's submitting to them pretty much till he's 30. And even then, when mom says, Can you help us out? We're out of wine. Uh, while he has some, some corrective words to say to her, um, he also. Um, she understands that while she's been rebuked, uh, that he's going to follow through. says, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> and he changes water into wine at his mom's request. So even at that age, at the initiation of his ministry, we have him supporting. And this is, the, this is God in the flesh. This is the extent to which he was willing to go. And then, as is about to happen here in, in our narrative, he is going to be ridiculed, spit upon, beaten, slaughtered. 
on a cruel cross and suffer separation from the Father that he had never experienced. So when we say obey his commands, it's a simple understanding. We are, those words are not foreign to us. We understand it, but we understand how difficult the task can be and what it can require of us. How did Jesus obey the Father? Completely. Not my will, but his be done. This is the declaration that drives the life of every true Christian. And it is the fulfillment of that drive that then affects our prayer life. And that's why James says, what is the effectual, fervent prayer? What, what, whose prayer is effectual, effectual and fervent? It is the prayer of righteous men. That if you want to get someone praying for you, make sure you get a righteous person praying for you. Their prayers are effectual. And so yes, there are individuals and times when you should go seek someone to pray for you because you know you're not obeying God's commands and so your prayers aren't going to get any farther than the walls. I know we usually say the ceiling, but the idea that God's just up there and not around you is foreign. He's right in here. And so if you want an effectual prayer life, we're going to have to obey his commands, and hopefully we recognize that that, while simple to say, is going to require a lot of me. It's going to require all of me. And this we are told throughout the scriptures. And we can go through the epistles, and that's why they keep calling us and calling us to walk the walk, um, because there's so much benefit as a result of walking in obedience to God. It is the... It is the result of his love for us, which we've talked about. Remember the foundation is the Father sent the Son. The Son did his work. We respond by faith believing. We receive the Holy Spirit. And now we are, as recipients of God's love, also the carriers of and responders to God's love. How do we respond to God's love? Obey his commands. What is his commandment? Love one another. Love God, love one another. That is the driving force I've already mentioned Galatians. Let's go there. I think it's worth visiting the scriptures more than hearing me. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6. I really want to read it all. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do chapter 5. Let's begin verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There's our concern, right? We don't want to be hindered from obeying the truth. This persuasion, that is the persuasion of the Judaizers that wanted to keep the Old Testament law instead of the righteousness that is by faith, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. 
Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of flesh wars against, uh, I'm sorry, lust of flesh, for lust of flesh against the spirit. For the flesh lusts against the flesh, the spirit, there we go, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So it's not an exhaustive list. Might feel like it, but it's not. (laughs) Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? If we're free from the law, why can't we do all those things and not inherit the kingdom of God? Because the work of Jesus Christ transforms us that these things are not in our life because we don't want them there because we love God and we want to keep his commandments. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We are on a different platform now. So far above the law, the law becomes irrelevant. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, having one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It is not the law of the Old Testament. It is the law of love. I'm going to bear... Not, I'm not just, just going to put up with you. <laughs> I'm going to bear your burdens. I'm not just tolerating you. I'm supporting you. Oh, there's a difference. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one examine his own work, then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Wow. Obeying God's command to love one another draws us away from all of this heinous life that is cursed by God into a walk that is driven and modeled after Jesus Christ. That I'm going to love as he loved. Not only loving the Father and keeping his commandments, willing to surrender everything, but loving those that he served. Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to all men. Not just the people he liked. Not just the people that he got along with. He came to love and to serve his enemies. And you saw in, in Matthew 5, where he says you, you love, your, love your friends and hate your enemies. Well, you're supposed to be doing good to your enemies. We should be serving them. 
This is loving one another. Is, and unfortunately, uh, and many others have commented on this, that our churches start to become places and we, we segment ourselves in churches throughout our land uh, into uh, little enclaves of people who like each other, not who love each other. So if I can't get along with you, and we're not talking about doctrine, we're not talking about, about teaching, that's not what we're really referring to here. Uh, when we have doctrinal issues that require distinction and separation, boy, they need to be acted upon. But when it's just petty things about personality and, and, and I like this color and you like that color, I like this sports team, I, I, I vote this way, you vote that way, when it comes down to those kind of things, uh, that our churches are little enclaves of people who like each other only, how are you any different than the world, Jesus said. The world does that. They form little groups. You know, so go on Facebook and look at all the little groups, you know. We're all the people that love, you know, barbecue, and we're over here. And we're all the people that like French food, and we're over here. And we have our own little group. And we all love French food. And then we're over here, well, we all like hot rods. I don't know if they use that term anymore. Okay. I just showed a lot of age there, maybe. Um, but, and we all like the Beatles, or we like the, you know, and we form ourselves in these little cliques of, of people who have common interests. The church should look completely different than that. But that's what we've come down to, and, and, and we don't really understand loving people that are weird, that make us uncomfortable. Where are they? Why don't we embrace them? Why do we kind of, I don't know about that. Oh, our churches should look so drastically different than the world if we are keeping Christ's commandment to love one another and to serve those that maybe without Christ would be our enemies. And maybe even with Christ, count themselves our enemy. This is the love of God that we are called toward. To love as Christ loved. Christ humbled himself, sacrificed himself for those that hated him. The people who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, are the very people Jesus Christ was dying to save. He loved them. And so we are called out of this life of sin, of what we used to be, into a life characterized by obeying the commands of God, that they weigh upon me and that they are the driving forces, they are defining who I am. I don't let the world define me. The world, wants to de- the world is getting really weird in the whole idea of def- defining who people are and people want to define themselves. They, they, they can't handle whether they're a man or a woman, they want to define themselves. They can't handle uh, you know, what, who their parents were, so they want to redefine themselves. You know? and, and so um, yeah, my kids have been used to that for a while because they've been pretending to be because we don't know who grandpa is, who my grandpa is, so they don't know 
who that person is. So I said, I mean, you can make him up wherever you want. You can be one-fourth. No, that would be me one-fourth. You can be one-eighth, anything you want, because we don't know who Grandpa is on, on my side. So you just invent. Whatever you, wherever you need to go, you can say, oh, I'm one-eighth Indian. I don't know, because we might be. Well, I'm one-eighth African. I don't know. It might be. I'm one-eighth Asian. I don't know. It might be. But we are in a world that, def- that uses these definitions for personhood, and we want to define ourselves instead. And for the Christian, we're getting caught up in all of that. There's only one thing that defines us, and it is the working of Jesus Christ. It is the definition of who I am. And in, um, among men traditionally, how do we define ourselves? Often by our work. I am this. I am a manager, a teacher, a laborer, whatever. This, this often defines me. Sometimes we define ourselves in, in human relationships. I am dad. I am grandpa. I am husband. I am brother. Um, those things don't define us. Our skin color doesn't define us. You know, I, I don't participate in that. And neither should the church at all. Because there's only one defining characteristic of the follower of Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus Christ. And as we obey his commands, that should be evident to everyone. These people are the real deal. They're going to follow God's word. And not in a hypocritical fashion, and not in a forced way. It is as I grow in my love for God, my love for others multiplies. Do I love their sin? No, I hate it. I hate it even more and more because as I grow closer to God, I see his holiness and his righteousness and the bar raises not only in my life but in my expectations of others around me and I get more and more disgusted by sin and it, and, but I also simultaneously fall deeper and deeper in love with the sinner. And I desperately want for them to be saved. And for the wayward Christian, I definitely desperately want them to live for God and enjoy all of this. And while there is great sacrifice involved, I want to also conclude by reminding you there is great joy. Our ultimate goal here is that our joy would be full, our peace would be perfect, and our love would be of the Father, right? That's our ultimate objective in this conversation. And so, while the command requires much of me, while obeying his commands is a submitting of my will to his will, and it is going to involve incredible amount of courage. If you don't think that, then I would challenge you to really consider what Christ was going through in Gethsemane through the resurrection. The amount of courage it took to face that, knowing what was coming. It takes incredible amounts of courage to obey God in a sinful world, and to take a stand. And you're going to have your own family members hate you for it. That's guaranteed. God said so. Your own family members. Even those who call themselves Christian will be contrary to that. Because if they aren't living out the love of God in their life, they'll hate you for doing it. All of that is there, but remember the objective. 
The objective in, in demonstrating our love for God and living in the love of God, uh, keeping his commandments, ultimately is that I have this effectual, active, vital prayer life that my joy is full, my peace is perfect, and I have the love of God in me and for me. You can still have hard things to do that culminate in great joy and even coexist with them. And again, we are called to the epistles, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. The cross despised its shame and it set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. There was joy coexistent with his activity on the cross. For the joy set before him, he reminded himself over and over again that there is, this is for your salvation. This is for these people. If without my doing this, they would be in hell forever. And there was joy to be obedient to the Father, to accomplish this for the benefit of those he loved, which is all humanity, for God so loved the world. And so, because of my love for my Father, my love for all these people, I will endure this horrible maltreatment with joy. Does it hurt? Yes. But I will endure because of the Joy anticipated. There is a lot of hurtful things that children do to their parents that we endure because we love them and we want to see them come out as functioning, contributing, godly adults. You're not really raising children. You're supposed to be raising adults. So we endure we endure the smells that they bring. We endure the slaps that they have. We, sometimes they bite you. Sometimes they spit at you. Sometimes they say hateful, mean things to you. We endure it all. Why? Because we love them. And we have a joy for what we expect come out that will. Well, they'll let you down, but God won't. So why can't we endure things for our love for God with great joy? Who will not let us down. So not only does there a present joy that should accompany our obedience and the sacrifices entailed in there, but there's also a confidence that there is a reward in God's plan. There's a confidence. Notice Jesus Christ um, endured the cross, despite his shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. The joy wasn't just in serving others, it was also the thrill that he would now be in this place in heaven and he would have the, enjoying the throne of his father, that he would be the one that would be qualified now to participate in all the activities there that we read in Revelation and that he will be the groom and there will be a bride now. That there will be a, a people of God accompanying God in heaven. Oh, there is a reward. And so when we come to this and it says, listen, obey my commands, that whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to work God in a quarter, and if that's your motivation for obeying commands because you want to ask for whatever you want, you don't understand the love of God. We've already talked about that last week in James. 
So we are called to all of this as an exercise of our love for God that we're going to obey His commands. God responds by hearing our prayers and we allowed to possess and, and experience the perfect peace, full joy, and his love that he wants for us. Brethren, obey his commands as he obeyed his Father's commands. And this is his commandment, that you love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We cannot cease to give praise to your name for all that you have accomplished for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your willingness to obey the Father that you've shown us what is entailed in obeying you. And Lord, our prayer is that we might keep your commandments, that doing so will not be a drudgery in our life, but will be something we fully embrace day by day, hour by hour. Our attitude and heart and spirit might be lay hold of every opportunity to show our love for you. That we cannot wait to gather with your people and that we will linger in that gathering because of our love for one another. Derived from our love for you. Lord, help us to walk in your spirit. Not to earn heaven, but because we love the one we have trusted in with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, remind us, not only today, but each day, to walk not according to our flesh, but in your spirit. We thank you for him, for his empowering, for his illumination, for his direction, and also for his conviction when we stray from the path of your commandments. And Lord, we know that your commandments are not burdensome. They will bring joy in our life, fulfillment, contentment, and reward. And for this, Lord, we thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.